Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And whether you are in person or joining us on the live stream, we offer you a warm welcome. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. We're glad to be with you as we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. If you're on the live stream, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, whatever vehicle that you're using, we would love it if you would check in. Uh, leave a comment, let us know you're here. It kind of allows us, even in this virtual world, to uh, figure out a little bit who you are and maybe join the community a little bit. So we would love to have you do that. If you're visiting with us here in person this morning, uh, when you leave out in the narthex on the table, you will find kind of a, a goodie bag. And you know what I call it? I call it swag. And I think it's some of the best swag in the world. Help, help yourself to some of that. It's just our way of saying thank you for visiting with us. Uh, if you're sitting on the end of a row, there should be friendship registers there. We would ask you to pick that up, sign in yourself, pass it down. And this, again, is not, we are not singling anyone out. This is, I'm going to put it this way. If you're breathing, we would love and invite you to sign the friendship register this morning and let us know that you're here. A couple of different announcements uh, to call your attention to. I want to remind everybody of the Sheds of Hope fundraiser that is going on to the end of this month, the end of August, which is the 31st, so we still have a couple of weeks to go, and our hope is to be able to raise 25000 with that, so we want to uh, invite you to participate in that. Uh, you might want to take a note at the bulletin announcement that says if you're writing a check, they're made payable to LOPC and write in the memo line, Sheds of Hope. That must be written in the memo field. Uh, the session has called a congregational meeting for church members for next Sunday, August the 29th, immediately following the morning worship service. The purpose of this meeting is to consider a motion that is being brought from the Board of Trustees involving the sale of a parcel of our land. So please note that that will be next Sunday, August 29th, immediately following our morning worship service. There are several other announcements that we could call your attention to. I would invite you to read through the bulletin at your leisure, hopefully not in the middle of my sermon. That would be nice. I'd appreciate that. Uh, but maybe after lunch or something like that. And so now, uh, as we are preparing to enter into worship, to come before the very throne of God, to glorify him and to worship him. Let's prepare our hearts for worship.
God himself has called us to worship him and called us, because he loves us, into his very presence. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we gather here this morning because you have called us to worship you, to glorify your name, to be captured by the majesty and the splendor and the beauty of your name. Grip our hearts, accomplish your will, do in us, through us, and amongst us what you want. May we lay our hearts down at your altar for you to change us this morning. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please stand as we sing together our opening hymn of praise this morning. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. confession of faith is from the Nicene Creed. 
And so we will together, as God's children, as God's people, confess what it is we believe. So we will read this together, and I will do my best to read it slowly. I need, I need to read a little slower. Sometimes I notice that. So I, I will do my best, and we will confess together this fundamental creed of the Christian faith, the Nicene Creed. Friends, what is it that we believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. I believe the choir and the praise team introduced this song a few weeks back. Beautiful, beautiful song, Christ Will Be My Hideaway. Let's sing praise to the Lord.
absolutely beautiful song and I love songs of praise that gives us hope in these days we need to know that Christ is risen and ascended and that he is the one on the throne nothing catches him off guard nothing catches him by surprise and we need to have our hope not only affirmed but strengthened and encouraged and that's part of the purpose behind coming to the Lord in prayer it's not just presenting our list of things we feel like we need or want. It's communion with the living, resurrected, glorified Lord. And if you just stop to ponder what that means, that God has invited us and wants us and desires communion with us, that is absolutely amazing. So we have printed in your bulletins the prayer our Savior gave to us, the Lord's Prayer. We will do that, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come before you, Father, and all we have this morning is our need. We have nothing to commend ourselves. No effort, no spirituality, no obedience, no discipline, no morals. We are not together. Forgive us for deceiving ourselves maybe into thinking that we have something to commend ourselves. We have nothing but need. So we bring you our emptiness, and we pray, Lord, you will fill us. We bring our sin and give it to you and pray that you will give us your righteousness and forgiveness. We bring ourselves, and you give us your spirit. Hallowed be thy name. And how can we not look out into the world and see what appears to us, we know it is under your rule and under your reign, but what appears to us to be such chaos. 
So we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whether it's the situation in Afghanistan, Lord, we lift up those trying to get out of the country. We pray for oh, the military and servicemen, those who've given their lives and sacrificed so much. We pray for Afghans trying to get out, for all the evacuees and the refugees. We pray, Father. We lament the situation, and we pray that you would bring healing and comfort and again, all we have to bring before you is need. We pray, Father, for the situation in Haiti, the victims of the earthquake. We pray, Father, for ministries that we are so grateful for, like the St. Germains, and lift them before you. And we praise you for their work on the ground there and the work that you're doing through so many, including us, we have the privilege of partnering with them. Lord, there are so many things. There are people here in our midst who are hurting, recovering from surgeries, recovering from falls, going through chronic pain and affliction. We lift them before you. In these and in so many ways, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, we depend and rely upon you for our daily bread. And we ask for forgiveness of our debts, as we, may we be a gracious, forgiving people. May we grow in holiness as we pray, Lord, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in all things, may the gaze of our eyes be upon your kingdom, your power, and your glory, for it is not about us, it is about you, and may we live centered, and our eyes fixed upon you and your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our only mediator and Savior, Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. stand at uh, one point and join us in singing the first verse of Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, the words in your bulletin are actually the, the word to the anthem, Holy is He, but if you want to grab your hymnal and open it up to Holy, 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 I'm not sure of the number, um, but Russ will stand you at the appropriate time and we'd like to invite you to join us in singing.
be seated. Tell you a quick story after that anthem done by the choir and the congregation. When I was pastoring my first church in Philadelphia, and I've only pastored basically Presbyterian and Reformed churches, so traditional, very much like we are and stuff like that. I had a missionary friend, we're still dear, dear friends to this day, who uh, was visiting. No, it wasn't Philadelphia, it was Oklahoma City. I got the city wrong. I'm forgetting some of my churches. Uh, But we were in Oklahoma City at Heritage, and he came down to do a kind of a missions conference uh, for us, and the choir did a rendition much like that where, you know, I could say we raised the roof a little bit. Isn't that kind of what what they did? And he's sitting out there, and of course, you know how we are as Presbyterians. We're like, how do we show emotion? And usually it means we go, "Mm mm-hmm. You know, and if it's, if it's a really good point, we go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing. So we get, and by the way, we want to follow the regulative principle. It does say, clap your hands, all you nations, shout unto God with shouts of joy. That's directly from Psalm 47, and I think it's a command. So we are allowed to do that, or commanded to do that, but... The choir does this rendition, much like, Amy, what you did with the choir and the choir, it was beautiful. And he's out there, and of course, nobody knows how to react after this. Well, he just yells, go, choir! (laughs) So I guess you have permission to do that if if you want to do that after, after something like that. That was a beautiful piece, led me to worship. I'm grateful for the congregation participating. That is fantastic. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. As we come before the word, sometimes I feel like there's definitely teaching involved, but I think we misunderstand the purpose of preaching when we divorce it and make a dichotomy between the preached word and worship. Because we are here worshiping the Lord. And so even though I'm proclaiming the word, we are all to be worshiping the magnificence and the splendor and the grace and the sovereignty and the majesty of God together. So as I pray and we read the text and we look at this this morning... My invitation to us as a community of God's people is that we would be swept into worship by our holy God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come and speak to us through your word, that we would recognize we're hearing from you, that we would not come above your word, we would not stand next to your word, we would not question your word, we would come under your word. That your word is truth and it has authority in our lives. We thank you, I thank you, for the promise that your word does not return void. That frees me up a great deal, that no matter what the sermon's like, if it makes no sense whatsoever, as long as your word is preached, it will accomplish your purpose, and I'm grateful for that. And so, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our study uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans, so let me read the text for you, which is Romans chapter 2. Verses 25 through 29. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. For circumcision 
indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. All right, as we struggle together through this particular passage, I want you to keep uh, a popular idiom in your mind that I think will help understand the image and the symbolism behind what Paul is describing here. The popular idiom is don't judge a book by its cover. Or if you want to look at it a different way, maybe for you more literary types, The phrase that originated in Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, all that glitters is not gold. Now you're probably going, okay, Jeff, that's great. You showed us that you could at least look up Shakespeare. And I have to say that I haven't read all of Shakespeare. I don't want to make a claim that's not true. But uh, what does that have to do with the passage? Well, for the educated, conservative, orthodox, upstanding Jewish person We need to understand that for them, the law, what was known as the Torah, the covenant, and especially circumcision, was their badge, their badge of honor, their identity marker, if you would. It was what made them, them. It's what made them stand out and distinct. And in other words, it's what made them, not everybody else. It's what made them especially not Gentiles. It was their badge, if you would. And we need to recognize that Paul is making, and you need to remember something. I'm going to be referring to context an awful lot in this passage. You need to remember that Paul is an ethnic, national, Jewish person. So who is he speaking to? His own people. He's not standing outside and condemning others. He's kind of going, I'm talking to us. I'm talking to my family. And what's his point? All that glitters is not gold. What is on the outside, the badge, the identity identity marker, may not be what is on the inside. And it is what is on the inside. It is the reality, not just the outward sign. That really counts. What Paul is saying, and we need to hear this, is that due to the failure of religion, what we spoke about last week, the failure of what we count on most, what we need is a regenerated new heart, a whole new identity. Think of, when we, as we go through this passage, I want you to think about Paul's words, what he told to the church at Corinth when he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. Think hard about those words. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. So Paul here is saying a new creation means a new identity and is a new creation or a new identity that we need. Now, how does Paul convince us of that in this text? That's the thesis from this passage. We need a whole new identity. We need to not be... How did C.S. Lewis put it? We don't need to be nice people. We need to be new people. How does Paul convince us of that from this text? Two ways. One, unmasking our false identities. And two, showing us what our true identity really is. Okay, if you're taking notes, you like shorthand, just go false true. And you'll get the gist of this pretty easily. See, I can even make... Notice I'm on a run, by the way, since I've come back from pneumonia and COVID and all that stuff. Two-point sermons. I wonder if I'm changing the... Pre- Maybe it's, it's no wonder they never asked me to teach homiletics at a seminary. I go against the Presbyterian way. But two points. Unmasking the false, embracing the true. Okay? Now, we need to remember our context as we go through this passage. Remember that this is part of a larger section that began all the way back in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And this issue of false identities, this kind of false badges, things that we look at to project an image of ourselves, is highly practical and relevant to us. We all do this. Let me tell you a quick story. When Evie and I were raising Joel and Joel was younger, uh, we put him in scouts, which was out of my comfort. Evie was great at it, very much out of my comfort zone. Y'all are getting to know me. You know I'm not an outdoors person, right? Other than golf, okay? I'm, I'm not a hunter or fisherman. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go out and go, I, I just don't, you know. I guess I'm, I'm working at this man's man type stuff, but that's really not me. Don't put a tool in my hand. I have no idea what I So we had Joel in Scouts, and he's in Cub Scouts. And, of course, the cool thing about Cub Scouts is every time you do something, you get a badge of some sort, a trophy, an award. Now, I like that. I'm big on awards and stuff like that. So I'm like, we got to go for that. Let's get another badge. Let's get another one. That's my son. Let's do that. So we come to this thing, and this one thing was you had to build kind of like this model airplane or whatever that was on a string, do a race, do something like that. You lost me at the word build. But what I've always been is a decent leader. Okay? And you know what leaders know how to do? They know how to maximize the gifts of others and delegate. And do you want to know who is really gifted at building stuff? Joel's mother. Evie can build stuff beautifully. So she, I said, Evie, mother-son project here. This is awesome. You can do it. And of course, she gets into it. She's good. She's done. Day of the race comes, day of the thing. And I don't remember all the particulars and stuff like that. But they get there. And of course, Evie's the only mo- It's all these fathers and sons. It's good I have, see, I'm trying to practice identity in Christ. My self-image is not based on how I'm doing, Okay. So she's the only mom. I'm the dad, and I'm cheer- I'm with the moms, cheering them on. Evie's with the dads, participating in this airplane thing. And guess who won? Evie and Joel. So she wins and does this. And I'm like, yes! A badge! An award! Give me the marker! 
we're not them. We won. And you want to know what happens? And I'll end this on kind of, the men got so upset that they lost to a woman that they said, we need to do a race, need to do a do-over. And they do the do-over, and then we come in second or third. I don't remember. Evie can tell you later what we came, but we didn't win, and Joel didn't get the... But here's the point of the story and the illustration. Badges are important to us. I'm... And I could give a lot of examples. I'm reformed. I've got my doctrine. You know what we mean sometimes by that? And I am not put... For those of you watching on live stream, yes, I'm still reformed. I'm not then. It's very important to know the truth. But sometimes we have to be careful because you know what we mean by that? I'm not Arminian. If we're searching our heart and examining ourselves, we need to be careful because sometimes what we're doing is saying, this is who I am. I'm not like other people. I'm this way. Whether it's political or anything else. And again... I'm not saying don't have convictions. I'm not saying don't believe, sir. I am saying be careful that we're not doing it as a false identity, like a badge, a badge of honor, saying we're not like other people. Reminds me of the scripture in Luke 18, where the Pharisee and the publican, or the tax collector, they come up into the presence of God. And what does the Pharisee do? He prays, he says, thank you, God. That I fast twice a week, I tithe, I do this, I do that, and I'm not like this other guy over here. And of course, what does he pray? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, again, let's look at the context. What's going on here? In chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about the wrath, Paul says, the wrath of God is being manifested, is presently on display. It is being revealed against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness in the world. Paul is outlining why everyone, we are all in the same boat, both the religious and the pagan, absolutely need the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is no one who can save themselves. And we need to remember this is a letter written to a church. That is, means it is a letter being written to professing Christians about the gospel. A while back I read an article by a man by the name of Jim Widenar of Harvest USA. He was part of the PCA's study committee on human sexuality that did the report this year at this year's General Assembly. And in this article he wrote this. He says, Paul begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, by talking about all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He says he's talking about the world here. Paul's scope here is much wider than the church, beginning in chapter 1. Wide enough to include Fox News, CNN, Ellen, Jimmy Fallon, China, the EU, North Korea, New York, Venezuela, Planet Fitness, Lady Gaga, Facebook and Snapchat, Walmart, and on and on. Dr. Widener says, this is our culture, the world's culture, the diverse mass of humanity descended from Adam. And what does Paul have to say about this broadest category of people and culture? He says that the judgment of God upon them is visible. It's on display. And he writes, how so? 
And he says, by living out a worldview that flows from a fundamentally flawed, wrong starting point. That wrong starting point is denying the ultimate authority of God. And if you deny the ultimate authority of God, you will always make created things ultimate. And what do we get? The mass of immorality that flows logically and inevitably from a worldview in which all of nature is disassociated from God. And Paul writes, it's easy to see. It's on display. But he also, if we look carefully at the text, this is why I said, remember the context. And remember that there were no chapter breaks in the original letters. He also included in that list of the consequences of a godless worldview, vices that ought to shake us up as well. Things like malice and slander, disobedience to parents, ruthlessness, gossip. So as Dr. Widener says, he says, the thought that ought to be whispering in the minds of Paul's Christian audience, in our minds, is, hmm, if these are the outworking of a God-denying worldview and their existence is a sign of God's judgment, then how do I account for these things in my life in spite of my claim to know God? This is exactly what Paul intends you to think. It should be troubling. It should wake us up. It should be jarring. Because we get to chapter 2, and Paul begins with, Therefore, you have no excuse. In other words, he's saying to his Christian friends, if you get to the end of chapter 1 and you're smug and superior and you're looking down on others, you are forgetting and missing the point. Widener says at least when they do these things, it is a logical consequence of their worldview. He says basically they're being themselves. It shouldn't surprise us. He says, but if we do them, We who claim to know God. Remember chapter 2. You have the Torah. You have the covenant. And here at the end of chapter 2, you've got the ultimate badge, the ultimate identity marker. You've been circumcised. It points out it's a badge. You belong to God. So you have this. He's saying, if we do these things, and we do, it proves something that should stop us in our tracks and terrify us. It proves that what is wrong with us is so bad that we, too, continue to rebel against God while claiming to acknowledge him. See, what Paul is challenging us here in chapter 2 is maybe we should quit being so smug, so superior, so judgmental, have a little humility, and realize our great need for the gospel. He's talking to Israel, to the chosen people of God, and he's saying that their outward label, their badge, their identity marker, circumcision, can sometimes deceive. That sometimes what is going on doesn't match up with the badge and the name on the outside. See, if you look with me at verse 25, what does he say? He says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, now stop there, because this goes back to chapters 1 and 2. If you break the law, 
Who would that be? Who breaks the law? The answer to that is all of us. Everyone. So if you break the law, look at what he says. Your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying, in other words, when a Jewish person, now read here, a religious person, for us today, a Christian, coming to church, doing a, breaks the law, meaning fails to love God and love neighbor. Since Jesus himself that's, said that's the summation of the law. So we break the law any time we fail to love God and love neighbor. Paul is saying our circumcision, the identity marker, the badge, becomes uncircumcision. Oh yeah, we still have the badge, but your real standing before God is that of an uncircumcised person. And that means a Gentile. Now put yourself in the shoes of an orthodox, upstanding, conservative Jewish person in the first century and tell me you wouldn't be jarred and you wouldn't be shook up. That's why I said when I first came here, I said, if I'm faithful in preaching the gospel, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to make everyone mad. The gospel makes the pagan mad. The gospel makes the religious conservative mad. The gospel offends everyone because it says we're in the same boat. All we have to commend ourselves before God is our need. You want to know what we have to present to God? Our sin. Our emptiness. And Paul is confusing for them. Is confounding them with He's jarring them with this. Now, this shouldn't have been new news for the Orthodox Israelite because this was right in the Old Testament. Let me read for you a text out of Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 26 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Then he goes on. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. That was hundreds of years before Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. So you jump ahead these hundreds of years to Romans chapter 2, and if you're boasting in your knowledge of God, your teaching of others, you're having the Torah, you're being circumcised, you're experiencing the law as your identity, Paul is saying you are not truly circumcised with the circumcision regarded and honored by God. But look what else. Verse 26, Paul continues. Apparently, this point works in reverse as well. Talk about making people mad. Look what he says. So if a man who is uncircumcised, read that a Gentile, if you're in the original audience, Paul is basically saying, if a man who is a Gentile keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
Can you not picture the... They're throwing tomatoes at Paul at this point. At this point, they're going, now you've gone too far. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. See, apparently this point works in reverse as well. What happens if an uncircumcised person, a Gentile, the people that the Jews despised, keep the law? Well, they are regarded, and the word means counted, just like in the word justification. They are seen, they are dealt with, they are treated as circumcised. Sounds strange? Sound a little confusing? Who is this Gentile who keeps the law? To any upstanding Jewish person, how can an uncircumcised person be fulfilling the law? And Paul wants us to wrestle with that question. Which brings us to the second point. How do we have a new identity? And verses 28 and 29 give us the answer. For it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew, notice what he's doing. He's redefining. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So look, and we need to recognize when Paul uses a word like circumcision, he means your badge, your identity, what truly defines you, who you really are. We're told it is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. That is your true identity. See, what is Paul talking about and how do we get it? And this is so practical and so important because in this life, we will always struggle with false identities. We will, oh, the flesh is always with us. Even when we embrace our identity, who we are in Christ, we'll always struggle with, well, I want to be the best father and grandfather and mother and grandfather, grandmother and husband and wife and pastor. and wife. We always want to put something forward that projects an image. But see, what Paul is talking about here is that it is not about our performance. It's not about keeping the law or some kind of rigorous, strenuous, moral, and spiritual effort by making sure, he's saying it's not at all about trying to make sure you're absolutely correct in every point of purity and doctrine, but it's fundamentally about what it means to be a Christian. And a Christian is anyone, Jew or Gentile, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, any race, tribe, tongue, language, who has God's law written on their hearts by the Spirit. And we need to look and see what exactly does that mean. And again, we need to go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, this was prophesied. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, 
and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you hear this? Hundreds of years before Paul was born, before he persecuted Christians, before he grew up as a renowned Pharisee or wrote the letter to the Romans, he says, this is the covenant. In other words, a new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Apparently, the new covenant is made with the house of Israel. But the house of Israel is different. It now includes Gentiles. And the law of God is written on their hearts. They are truly circumcised with the circumcision of the heart, done by the Spirit and not by the letter. And see, how can this be? Listen to how Paul, see, even though the name of Jesus is not explicitly mentioned here, who is the one who fulfilled every precept of the covenant? Who is the one who fulfilled the covenant? Who did it all? Achieved its blessings and took its curse in himself. It is Jesus. And it's made operative in our lives by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Listen to how Paul puts it. He says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As one commentator put it, he says, he takes the holy and wonderful word, Jew, and declares that when God works by the Spirit in a Gentile heart to produce the true fulfillment of the law, that Gentile is to be called a Jew, even though he or she was not born into a Jewish family. Paul is talking in traditional Jewish language about the renewal of the covenant and claiming that it has taken place in and through God's Spirit. In other words, one who is physically uncircumcised can be said to keep the law through Christ by the Spirit, meaning we have a new identity. Friends, do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you know that you are seen and treated and dealt with by God as if you are a law fulfiller? That you have already, if you're in Christ, in God's eyes, you have fulfilled every jot, every tittle, every ounce of the law. You've done it all in Christ. So that even when we are struggling with the false identities, we're struggling with, I want to be liked, I'm struggling with whatever it is that we struggle with. I want to be the best this or the best that. We are seen by God. Just as beautiful, just as gorgeous, just as fulfilling the law, just as loving God and loving neighbor as Jesus did. If you are in Christ, you are seen as a law fulfiller. 
That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the true circumcision of the heart. And how does this impact us practically? Friends, we have to learn to embrace our new identity. And part of doing that is learning to be honest with ourselves. Unmask all the false identities that we tend to trust in, learn to live with, and learn to listen to. Listen to how you speak to yourself. Yes, you do speak to yourself, by the way. You surprised to hear that? We all talk to ourselves. You know you talk to yourself more than you talk to anybody else. Listen to how you talk to yourself and what you say about yourself. It will reveal a lot about your false identities. Learn to unmask them and learn to lean into and to trust and embrace who you are in Christ. Henry Nouwen, in what I think is one of the best books on the Christian life, Life of the Beloved, says, the world tells us and we tell ourselves so many lies about who we are. And you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting embrace. What are the lies the world tells you? What are the lies you tell yourself? Do I live out of the lies that tell myself, well, I'm not a man's man, I must be less of a man? The world would have me believe that. Be very easy for me to believe that about myself. Or do I tell myself that, yes, that's a false identity, it's part of the flesh, and it wants to hang on. But my real self is who I am in Christ. Beloved child from all eternity, seen and treated by God as a law fulfiller, counted righteous in Jesus Christ, held in an everlasting embrace. That's the true circumcision of the heart. That's what it means to be in Christ. Friends, embrace your true identity given to you by Christ. Lord, our greatest need in life is to understand the gospel. I pray, Father, from my own heart, and I pray for all of our hearts, that we would understand more and more not only the content of the good news, but the application and the implications of the good news in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we've heard about God's amazing grace. Let's stand and sing God's amazing grace.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction and be dismissed out into the world. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.